Hey guys, and welcome to episode 27 of the Life Simply Better podcast. I'm Zoe Galitzis, and I coach busy working moms on creating the lives they want. And today we are talking about how to be an unbusy working mom. Usually, at least in this culture, when we think of working moms, we think of busyness. And in my last episode, I talked all about why we are so busy. And it was a surprising answer. It wasn't what you might think in terms of your busyness being caused by the number of kids you have and their demands and the demands of your job. It's really what leads to our busyness is very simple and it's in our control. It is the thoughts that we have. Our thoughts are what create our experiences of being busy. Our thoughts are what drive the actions that we take to overfill our calendars. And so we talked last episode about six examples of what I call thought errors, which are really thoughts that we think habitually, we just think them kind of out of our default thought pattern, but they really don't serve us and they really don't create the results that we want to have in our lives. And so I thought it would be fun for today's episode to talk about how to start to experiment with some new thoughts and potentially change some of those thoughts that aren't serving you and how that can help you get to a less busy place in your life. All of this is based on my own experience of going from an overwhelmed, overworked, stressed out mom to what I would consider now a pretty unbusy life. I still get a lot done. In fact, I would say I get more done than I did before I started this work. So my life is still very full. I just don't experience it as a busy life. I get a lot done, but I also feel like I have plenty of time for myself. I have plenty of time for my family. I have time to get all my work done in the hours that I want to be working. I'm not overscheduled. And I have time to do things that I'm really passionate about, such as being here on the podcast right now with you guys. I love this. So let's talk through these thought errors and then start to just get curious about what other options might be around our mindsets and how you might want to start to shift that. So I will read off the first uh, thought error. Actually, I'll read out the list again and then we'll go through each one in a little bit more detail. My list of six examples of thought errors that keep us overly busy is... Number one, people pleasing. I know a lot of you struggle with this. Number two, guilt tripping, mom guilt, right? Number three, shooting on yourself. Number four, wanting all the things. Number five, equating time with value. And number six, getting caught up in our own stories. So let's go through each one of those in a little bit more detail. And I wanna give you some concrete examples and some things that you can really start to apply to think about your life and your situation just a little bit differently than you are now and hopefully start to shift that experience of busyness. The first thought error that we're going to talk about is people pleasing. I know this is something that a lot of you have challenges with and it's something that impacts not only our experience of life when we're constantly 
stressing over trying to make everyone happy and make sure no one's uncomfortable or make sure no one's unhappy with us. But it also impacts our calendars when we are always saying yes to things, when we're getting asked to do something and thinking, you know, that doesn't really fit with what I had had planned to do with my time, but I'm going to say yes anyway, because I don't want to deal with the discomfort of thinking that I might make someone unhappy. That can really fill up our calendars and eat away a lot of time in addition to causing stress and impacting our experience of our lives. So with people-pleasing, one of the techniques that I have found most helpful to start to shift my beliefs around it is just to really understand what makes someone happy or unhappy. What makes someone unhappy or happy is not what I do or what I say to them. It is their own thoughts. So when I can give them back the ownership of their emotions and their feelings, that really frees me to answer requests from a place of doing what's right for me and trusting that everyone else can take care of themselves. So I literally cannot make someone unhappy by saying no to a request. The only thing that can make them unhappy is their thoughts about my answer and how they interpret my answer. And so just having a clearer picture of emotional ownership, I'm responsible for my own emotions, they're responsible for their own emotions, has helped me to start to loosen up my grip of people-pleasing. That also means that when they give me validation, that's not what makes me happy. Only my thoughts about what they said or what praise I got can make me happy. So that's something for me to keep in mind too, that just as they're responsible for their own emotions and how they view a situation, I'm responsible for my own emotions. And so being able to look for validation from within myself and look for my own sense of self-confidence and self-worth rather than being reliant on pleasing other people or my perception of whether I'm pleasing other people has been huge. And the more that I've worked on myself and my own self-confidence, the more I've been able to let go of that people-pleasing instinct. And that doesn't mean that (laughs) when I get a request, I'm just completely um, not taking into account other people and what they want. It just means that I'm going to do it for the right reason. So I may still decide, you know, this is, for example, my my son is asking me to do something with him. I'm not just going to have this blatant disregard for that and say, well, he's in charge of his own happiness, so I'm not going to worry about it. But I'm going to take into consideration for myself, how do I want to show up as a mom? What are the other commitments that I've made? What are my priorities? And then I'm going to answer from a place of, what I want to do, who I want to be in the world, rather than worrying about his emotional reaction to my answer. And that's a very different thing. It might look the same on the outside. It, it may still end in a yes, I'll do that in some cases, but it's from a different motivation. And that makes a huge difference in how you are ultimately able to balance commitments that you've made and also just your experience going through that. So that's people-pleasing. The next one was guilt tripping. And again, I have a whole episode, episode 17, on working mom guilt, about the guilt we feel 
One of the most powerful things for me in getting out of the guilt is just really seeing how those guilty thoughts and guilty feelings play out in my life and how they really do not serve me. So usually when I'm feeling guilty, I'm feeling guilty that I'm not spending enough time with my family or I'm not spending enough time at work. And that's the reason for my guilt. But when I have that feeling of guilt, the result of me feeling guilty, what what comes from that is that I'm basically ruminating, I'm feeling bad about myself, I'm beating up on myself, and whatever else is happening on in my life, my ability to stay present with that, whether it's focusing at work or whether it's being present with my family and having quality time and feeling connected to them. When I am feeling guilt, I'm very inwardly focused in a negative way, right? I'm just beating up on myself instead of getting work done, connecting with my kids, et cetera. So being able to really see that guilt does not help me get what I want. It seems like it should. It seems like if I feel guilty and beat up on myself for not doing enough, that that would motivate me to do more. But really all it does is it just robs me of my focus. It robs me of my ability to be present and connect with what's going on around me, which ultimately is what I want to be doing more of. So really just observing that in my own life, noticing when I feel guilty, what do I do? How do I act? Has really put me off of the guilt because I see it's not getting myself a result that I want. A really good example of this with my kids was with screen time where I had spent years really feeling extremely guilty about how much screen time our kids got. And I would feel guilty about it and I would make plans to change it, but those would never really stick because I was doing it out of this place of feeling like I wasn't doing it right how it was. Kind of this, again, negative beating up on myself, self-criticism place like, oh, I really shouldn't be doing this as a mom. And I noticed that as soon as I was able to let go of that guilt, because I noticed, hey, whatever is going on right now, the guilt is not helping me. Like it is not changing our family screen time dynamic at all. As soon as I was able to let go of that guilt and see how regardless of how much screen time my kids were getting, I was a good mom and seeing those points of connection and starting to notice the times when I was connecting with my kids and starting to notice the times that they were watching screens and weren't watching screens because, you know, they were watching a lot of screen time, but they weren't watching it 24 hours a day. So just noticing, okay, they're not watching it all the time. I'm keeping them fed. I'm keeping them alive, noticing the good things that I'm doing as a mom and dropping the guilt. As soon as I was able to do that and get to a clean spot without the guilt, I was able to actually take effective action and action that's been sustainable around slowly changing those habits. But I wasn't able to do that. We weren't really able to get a hold on decreasing the amount of screen time until I dropped the guilt. So isn't that interesting just to notice? The next one is shooting on yourself. So shooting on yourself is where you just have this never-ending list of things that you think you should be doing. I should be exercising more. I should be eating more whole foods. I should be going to more volunteer events. I should be doing more enriching craft projects with my kids. Whatever your list is, that list of all the things that you know you think 
a, a perfect mom, a good mom, a good leader at work should be doing. And this <laughs> list can be overwhelming, right? I think of it as climbing should mountain of trying to get all of these things done that we think we should be doing. But again, this isn't something that serves us because usually it doesn't make us any more productive. It just kind of buries us under this weight of feeling like we're inadequate and we're not enough. So again, what you want to start to do is notice when those thoughts are coming up and what they're actually resulting in. When you think I should be doing this, do you actually do it? And if you do it, do you get drained of energy in doing it because you're kind of using willpower to push through? Just noticing the impact that that has on your life can be an important first step to change it. And thinking about like, what if you just dropped all the shoulds? What if you just decided that if it's really important, it's gonna show up in your life without you putting pressure on yourself to do it. I think when you think about what we actually need to do, it's a very small list. It's like when people have a newborn baby, right? And we do the baby registry and we get like every single gizmo and gadget and all of the things for the baby. And then you have a newborn there and you don't actually need that much. <laughs> like it needs to eat, it needs a spot to sleep, it needs, you know, some fresh changes of clothes and some diapers, and that's pretty much it. It's the same thing with our lives overall. We think that we should be doing all these things, but we really don't need them in our lives. And you could look at, you know, what's the bare minimum that you need to do in a given day? First of all, you don't need to do anything, right? You don't have to show up at work. You don't have to feed your kids. You don't have to do any of that. Like you have all of that choice as an adult human being. You get to decide what you do. But there is a list of things that you want to do and you view as sort of necessities. So for example, feeding your children, showing up at work, you know, breathing. That's pretty much it. Again, it's a pretty small list. And I find the more I can strip that down, the smaller I can make my list of shoulds be like, all I need to do today is get out of bed, take a shower, give my kids some cereal, and show up at work. And if I do that, I'm going to call it a success. There's nothing else that I should do or that I need to do today. The more I can trim down that list of shoulds and set, um, set my expectations lower, for lack of a better turn of phrase, the more I actually get done. Because you're taking that pressure off of yourself and you are able to really work from a much more open space where you accomplish those small things. You're able to say, that's enough, I'm enough. And then you can produce even more from that clean space. So that's my, that's my advice and that's what's been helpful for me with shooting on myself. Number four, wanting all the things. So this one was, especially in our society where there's just so much, right? We live in a society of so much privilege, so many material things, so many enriching activities and experiences that we have to choose from, and we just want to do it all. And that's a really fun thought, but when you want to do it all and your next thought is like, how am I ever going to fit, fit this in? Or there's more that I want to do than I have time to do and I don't have enough time as soon as you flip into sort of there's not enough time for all of this or this is overwhelming, 
you start to downgrade the experience that you're having of life. So even though those things are exciting and you think you want to do them, it's not actually serving you (laughs) to want to do them. And one of the most powerful concepts here that's helped me to deal with wanting all of the things is just the experience of the power of constraint and the experience of how trimming things out of your life can actually far improve your life experience and your quality of life. And it goes back a little bit to the example I just gave with shooting on yourself, where you're trimming down your list of the things that you think you should do and opening up some space to operate um, more creatively and from a, a fuller tank by doing that. And it's kind of the same thing with wanting all the things and considering maybe it's not serving me to want all of this. Maybe it's not serving me to be sitting here wanting a vacation in Hawaii and a new kitchen and to read this list of 50 books that I have. What if I just didn't want all of that? What would that be like? And one of the earlier experiences I had in sort of my journey of becoming unbusy, even before I found coaching and before I started doing all of the work that I I teach now, was reading Marie Kondo's book about the the life-changing magic of tidying up and her work about decluttering and only keeping the things in your life that spark joy, which I realize that's become cliched now, but her book is excellent. And it really inspired me to declutter a lot in our house. And I realized how much more I like my house when there's less in it. It reminded me of when we were going to sell our first house and not the house we currently have, but when we were going to sell our first house, we uh, had someone come in to just give us a little advice about how to stage it, right? So it looked appealing to buyers. And most of her advice was around, take this piece of furniture out, take this out, take this off your wall. Most of her advice was not about adding decoration and adding things to the house. It was actually about removing things. And when we followed her advice and we did that, our house felt so much better to be in. It felt bigger. It felt more spacious. It was more calming as an environment. And that increase in the quality of our experience was caused by actually removing things and eliminating things. So I think we get a little bit confused in our society in terms of thinking that we need to add these things into our lives to make them better. And we want this and we want that and we want to add all this stuff into our life. I think we could spend a lot more time thinking about the things we want to take out of our lives. Because when we set up that house and got it staged, I was just like, we had been in that house for about nine years. And I was just like, we could have done this years ago and had this <laughs> and and been living in this space, which I really prefer this kind of more open space. And it was just a better experience. And so why not look at the things that you want to let go of versus the things that you want to add to your life? I just love that concept. I've applied it in all different areas of my life, not just our house and decluttering, but really how I do my work, you know, my closet, my my thoughts and kind of how I organize my mindset just in all areas of my life, this idea of constraint, really just keeping those essential things that bring you joy and letting the rest go. So that's my take on wanting 
all the things. Number five, number five was equating time with value. We have this idea that when we work more hours, that will make us better employees or better leaders that will advance our careers. And we also have a, an idea that when we spend more time with family, that will make us better parents. But really, time and value are two totally separate things. And this is so key to realize as a busy working mom, because when you have your focus split between family and self and work and marriage and the friendship, these different areas, to realize that it's not about how much time you spend on any of those areas to determine your effect. And I always like to notice at work, as an example, how the things that add the most value at work usually don't take a lot of time. And I just think it's interesting to notice that and see what led up to that. And usually, as a leader in particular, you know, it's just having an idea about how to do something differently or asking a really good question that changes the conversation and leads your team to coming up with a solution that's going to save hours and hours of time and work much better for your client or your customer, et cetera. It's those little moments, those little inflection points that create the value. And that is not about brute force. That's not about a lot of time. That's not about putting your head down and you know putting your nose to the grindstone. That's actually about having a clear head, not being busy, not being overwhelmed, just being able to focus in the moment and open yourself up to creativity. It has nothing to do with time. Same thing with your family. When you think about the, the experiences with your family that are most important to you and that you most value, they are not, you know, well, we just spent four hours doing X, Y, Z. So that, was, that made us so close because it took four hours to do it. They're just moments that you remember, a moment of, you know, being on the couch with your child, reading a book together, or a moment of connecting at a, a vacation through an experience. You know, I'm not giving very good examples here, but my point is that it's not, again, it's not slogging through hours and hours saying, okay, now we spend a ton of time together, so we're connected. In fact, a lot of times when my family spends a ton of time together, it does not connect us. It makes everyone kind of grumpy and just want to um, have some time to themselves as well. So when you think about your memories, again, memories are moments. Memories are not hours, they are moments. And your ability to create those moments is based on your focus and your presence in your life. It's not based on a set amount of time. So that's equating time with value and just freeing up your mindset a little bit to start thinking about that differently, both at work and at home. The final thought error that we talked about was getting caught up in our own stories. So the stories we tell ourselves about our lives, which for me often sounded like, I have so much to do, this is crazy, this is too much, this is ridiculous, how am I ever gonna get this done? I can't handle this. That was my story that I told myself about me and about my life. And that story was not helping me, right? It was just making me feel bad about myself, it was making me feel trapped, it was making me feel overwhelmed. And all of those feelings, you know, feeling inadequate, feeling trapped, feeling overwhelmed, those are all feelings that shut us down. They don't lead to effective action. 
They just take the wind out of us. And so that story became a self-fulfilling prophecy. The more I thought I have too much to do, the more I got overwhelmed. And the more I really did have too much to do because when I was overwhelmed, I wasn't able to act effectively. And so what has been so powerful for me with uh, getting caught up in my own story and kind of turning that to have a better experience of my life is to be able to separate the facts and the thoughts that I have in regards to my life. So a thought like, I have way too much to do, that's a thought, right? That might feel like a fact to you. You might be able to say, well, but it's true. I do have too much to do. Look, this is physically more than I can do. But I want you to just pause and list out what are the facts. What do you actually have to get done? And again, we just talked about you don't have to do any of it. So even the statement, I have to do so much, is not true because you don't have to do any of it. You have a choice about it all. But even beyond that, what are the facts? Okay, I I received an email from someone who said, can you prepare this report by Friday? There's one fact. I have three kids. There's another fact. I have plane tickets to go to Chicago on Tuesday. There's another fact. You need to list out just the simple facts of the situation and get out of that dramatic story that you're telling. And that's what will ultimately help you start to see another perspective. But before you try to shift into a new thought of, I have so much time and this is all just wonderful. Okay, sorry about that. I just had my five-year-old come in to the room I'm recording in to get his Minecraft stuffy. So I have a little break there. But I think that what I was saying was that before you try to change your thought to a new thought, like, oh, I have so much time. This is great. It's no problem to get all this done. That probably isn't believable to you right away. So before you try to go there, you just want to get to a neutral spot. And the best way to do that is to simply name the facts of your situation and be able to separate out what are facts and what is the story you're telling yourself. The fact is that you have an appointment on your calendar at 1030. The story is that I don't have time for this right now. I'm too busy. This meeting is going to be horrible or whatever thoughts you're having about that. So when we get caught up in our own stories, the remedy to that is to be able to see the underlying facts underneath those stories and start to separate out the math and the drama. And then we can move forward and coach ourselves from that place. That is my summary of the six examples of thought errors that we talked about last week and how you can start to make changes in those that will ultimately lead to a less busy life. And what's key here is to understand that what you need to do to create a life that is unbusy instead of overwhelming and stressful and overly busy is not to go and change what's on your calendar or not to take certain actions or not not to just start telling people no to everything The only thing that you need to do to create that change in your life is to change your mindset. Everything else follows from your mindset, your experience of what you're doing, the appointments on your calendar, all of those are generated by our thoughts. Our thoughts drive the choices we make and our thoughts drive how we feel as we're going through our days. So you want to get really clear, not just on what needs to be on your calendar or what what your schedule should be, but the thoughts behind that. What are you doing? What thought errors do you notice of this list that we talked about of people pleasing, 
guilt tripping, shooting on yourself, wanting all the things, equating time with value, and getting caught up in our own stories. Start to notice where those are happening for you and then just get curious about how it might look different. And you can use some of the tips that I just provided and some of the examples I just provided to see what resonates with you. Okay, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. I know that this work has been so key for me and has really transformed my experience of my life and taken me from a busy, overwhelmed working mom to what I truly consider to be a full but unbusy life, which I love. And it is my passion to share that with as many other moms as I can. So hope this was helpful. And just a reminder that if you are interested in taking all of this work to the next level and really applying it in your own life, I am rolling out a program starting May 1st that is going to be an awesome online coaching program for busy working moms that want to lead less busy lives. And you can sign up for the program at my website at lifesimplybetter.com forward slash coach, C-O-A-C-H. As I'm recording this, it's not set up to actually um, fully sign up, but what you can do is enter your name as like a pre-registration and I will get in touch with you as soon as we open it up for the official sign up for May 1st. So encourage you to go check that out if you're interested. And I wish all of you just a wonderful, unbusy week.